Welcome to Dentistry Uncut, the stuff you wish you knew. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you. We, we were just talking offline and you were saying this is your first official podcast. That's right. Yep. Welcome to the podcast world. This is officially my, well, it's less than 10. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so born and raised Indiana guy, right? Yes, I am. Where from? Newcastle, Muncie, Indiana. Okay. And you went to dental school back in, you graduated in 2010, right? Yes, I did. IU. IU. Yep. So what made you want to get into dentistry? I actually started out of high school not wanting to go to any more school and had a landscaping company for three years with a partner and we had seven or eight employees and a bunch of equipment and it kind of got to the point where on the rainy days you'd feel like guys would show up and you'd have to find stuff for them to do and then on the nice days where we could work we'd be stuck a guy short or two and just always the headaches of dealing with that and the weather I decided to go back to school and I wasn't sure originally if I was going to how I was going to do in school but I was thinking veterinarian or a dentist so while I was in undergrad, I shadowed both, and my uncle was a dentist, and then I knew another dentist, which is actually where I ended up working. But it came down to, as a veterinarian, I was going to be large animal probably and driving around all the time, and I had done that in landscaping and wanted kind of a stationary place where people came to me and you know more professional employees, and that's how, that's how I got there. Wow. Landscaping. That's, I worked with a landscaper for two years in college. I've never been so fit in my life. (laughs) Yes. That's hard work. It is. Right. Yep. There's, there's no doubt about that. So that's an interesting start, right? Isaiah's uh, got a very successful podcast uh, that specifically, you know, caters to the world of, of veterinarian uh, doctors. Yeah. so you 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 probably can share in that in that interest, uh, Isaiah. Yeah, I was gonna say that's actually fascinating to hear that it was kind of between those two because part of you know from a from a personal side you know from from the business like part of the reason why veterinarians and dentists is kind of who I work with from a from a client base is because there are some similarities, but yeah, there absolutely are differences as well, and it's always interesting to hear it seems to attract similar type of people, and I think they kind of choose one path or the other, but. Um, a lot of folks, uh, I feel like choose veterinary medicine. It's, I was, you know, five years old and I was bandaging my stuffed animals. Like they knew from like early, early on, they were always going to do that. Um, but wanted to revert back real quick to the landscaping company. Did you dissolve it? Did you sell it to the partner and just kind of walk away? Or how did you, how did you come to the the conclusion of doing kind of the wind down on your end? Uh, when I told him that I was going to go back to school, he felt like it was time for him to do something else too. And he went to work. Uh, for an aggregate company, IMI. And then I sold most of everything except for a hydra seeder and just was my only employee was just me and I could uh, subcontract from other landscapers and just go seed the yard and be done. And uh, I did that all through undergrad and then sold that whenever I went to dental school. You sold the hydro seeder or you still have it? Because I do need some. Yep. I, <laughs> I sold it. 
I got a few parking tickets at Ball State for taking two parking spaces. I'd go to class, <laughs> go see the go back. Uh, is that where you did your undergrad was Ball State? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Did you ever do the watermelon? Was it called the watermelon crawl? I didn't. No. I, okay. I wasn't right. on campus other than classes for the most part. I lived, lived okay. at home with my parents and was working all the rest of the time. So you were uncertain with regard to how you were going to do in school, but everyone that I talk to that's been through the dental school experience says that it is absolutely tough. Right. It uh, is, for sure. Talk to us about that challenge. Um, de- definitely different than undergrad. I mean, I had a 4.0 in undergrad, and going into dental school, it kind of feels like you know I was gung-ho the first year, probably, and it seems like the tests are set up where you can spend 100% of your time studying and maybe get an A, or you can do about half the amount of time and get Bs. So I wasn't wanting to specialize, and I had a family, so I didn't spend 100% of my time studying trying to get the A anymore, which was hard to initially to process and change my mindset on, you know, you got to get hundred percent on this. What was the most challenging part of dental school? Was it the book work or was it the clinicals or maybe both or neither? I, I think the, yeah, the book work tests and things, the yeah. clinical stuff was all, you know, that was the enjoyable part. You're a hands-on guy. You owned a landscaping company. Yep. Right. Right. <laughs> so you mentioned that, uh, you're an, a mentor, right? Yep. If I heard you right, your mentor was also a dentist. So your uncle was a dentist. Yep. Your mentor was a dentist. Right. So when you were going through dental school, did you already know, okay, I'm going to go work with this mentor or was that already set up or talk to us about how that process happened? That was the plan. Yes. So my mentor was um, my father-in-law, which David Dickey. And, um, he's not my father-in-law anymore, but, uh, we always got along. It's been eight years ago and we worked together the past eight years and always got along. Um, what, what was the rest of your question? You knew all along. So you knew when you were in dental school, that was going to be your, your postgraduate home. Yes. Yep. That was the plan. Did that help take some of the stresses off? And and I guess, you know, did you share some conversations with, with uh, fellow classmates that, you know, their their process of trying to figure out what they were going to do post-graduation? Because I know when I talk to, to students, um, you know, when you get to your second year, you're getting ready to go into your, you know, D3, it's that uh, you're starting to think, okay, where am I going to go? Where am I going to be? How, who's going to be the right fit? What type of place do I want to practice in? Did that help make your experience less stressful because you didn't have to necessarily think about that? Or I guess, tell us about that. I think for sure. I mean, I didn't have any worries about putting together a CV or, you know, doing interviews and worrying about what kind of office I was going into. I actually cleaned the dental office as a janitor or cleaning person while I was in school. So, I mean, I knew every room and, a lot of the ins and outs of how the practice was going into it. So you came in as an associate right out of school, correct? Yes. Yep. 
Talk to us about being an associate for your father-in-law. Uh, I mean, was that, I'm sure that that had its own challenges, right? Not really. I mean, it was pretty easy. Oh, nice. The, um, you know, the accountant or business advisor that helped us do the kind of initial paperwork had kind of said, you know, you, you as Dr. Dickey need to start teaching him things on business management and then kind of step back and let him handle things. So from day one, I mean, it wasn't, I was making decisions and, you know, changing things. Um, I spent a lot of time the first few months, you know, in dental school, we always had the same materials and then I get there and it's different materials and maybe not um, as advanced as I would want it to be. So I spent a few months every night kind of reading up on what cement I wanted to use and what uh, composite and uh, what bonding agent, those kind of things. You, you talked a little bit about the business advisor, the CPA that helped a lot there. Um, when you look, just kind of fast forwarding, we'll, we'll kind of keep walking through, but is there a professional partner that has helped you the most through your journey from going associate to owner to being multiple owner? Um, I mean, I've gleaned a lot of it from dental town and podcasts. I think that, uh, Aaron Irwin from stockyards bank has been somebody I've bounced things off of because he was there when I purchased the first half and then the second half. And we actually signed the loan for the second half sitting in a waffle house. So, Pretty good relationship there. Chicken and waffles? It was breakfast. So I think maybe, what is it, hash browns all the way and eggs. <laughs> so you, you mentioned uh, having signed on in the second half. I, what folks might not know is that you also own uh, a secondary office, right? So you not only own a office, you decided to start up another office with, with Dr. Dick D. How, how long ago was that? So he's, he started just a little in a little one room or, well, I think he had two rooms with, you know, temporary walls and a small office in 2008. So when I was about halfway through dental school and then we, he built a seven op practice during that time that opened kind of right when I got out of school in 2010. So two offices, talk us to us about the challenges that are, um, one office is challenging. Right. Second office, what new challenges does that bring? Um, so staffing issues, um, you know, we pretty much have the same staff between both offices, but there is, has been an overlap day of Wednesdays where both offices are open. So we've had to get uh, part-time hygienist and uh Part, part-time assistance too, and then just working out the schedule on those, especially with trying, you know, when vacations come up and things like that, that, that becomes a challenge. Um, other than that, I mean, it's, if we were open both places all the time, I think it would be harder, which that's what I'm trying to work towards. But I was going to say, that's the challenge that you've not now accepted. Your, your career has taken, you've kind of went through all these different phases in your, in your career. And now you've added uh, a new team member, a new associate to the mix, right? I have, yes. How did you identify um, a good associate? Because I think a lot of young dentists struggle with trying to figure out how do you make yourself to be an attractive candidate and have the conversation with that kind of senior doctor. And 
let's say they do want ownership. Is that something they bring up early on? Do you want to know that they're aspirational like that? Or do you want to know, hey, I just want to be an associate? Because I think the relationship can get, it can be a great relationship or can get very complicated quickly depending on personalities and and all that. So if you want to unpack that any way you want to, um, I think that'd be helpful. So identifying associate, um, for me, I actually didn't really want an associate. Um, I thought that anyway. And then it mainly because of all the problems that I've heard about of, you know, they stay a couple years and then they leave and then you're kind of back to square one or the arguments and um, anger that happens between the, both, both doctors. But during the pandemic, I thought, you know, it would be nice to be open more pla- both places at the same time and we can see people slower and not be so packed. And I just happened to... Um, I've had someone come in before the pandemic that was getting out of the military and he wanted to live in this area, which was a big thing for me. Um, being smaller towns, I think a lot of times associates come and, and work, but then they never really want to live there and they are always looking to move back somewhere bigger or somewhere else. So I'm hoping that with him wanting to live in the area that that keeps him around. The, whether they want to be an owner or not, I I don't know um, that that would have changed my decision if I knew. I mean, I, I still don't know if, if he wants to be an owner. I think that it's easier to keep that separate up front as far as just come work and, you know, see how you like it and see how we get along. And, you know, if everything's perfect, it's a lot easier to say, yes, someday you can be a part owner or I've heard a lot of people recommend, you know, not 50-50, but a 49-51, just so there is still sharing of the profit, but also one person has final say on big decisions and, and changes. So your your uh, your new associate has been practicing with you for the last month or so? Yeah, I think it'll be, this will be his fourth week, end of his fourth week. All right, so you're four weeks in. Yeah. Goods, bads. I, the, it's all been great. I really felt the the That's first great. week was uh, almost like I was living in a dream. I mean, just <laughs> so much less stress. You know, not having to see every patient, not having everything be on my shoulders. Um, you know, we can do a lot more same day treatment, especially you know at the beginning he didn't have things scheduled, so it was easy to say we can do this today while you're here the other doctor but that's worked well have you had any patients say anything about wanting to see you that maybe have that relationship versus him coming new or how do you how do you build up his confidence or or, um maybe not confidence but just his his reputation to patients be like hey you know dr x is awesome they they can do everything that i can do that i wouldn't hire them if i didn't think they were great like did you have those kind of conversations or does it not really come up there were certainly a few patients that just wanted to see me but a lot less than what i thought so which is somewhat somewhat humbling but it's good so <laughs> i can handle that um but yeah the but sometimes when they call to make an appointment we've you know made a column specifically for him especially emergencies saying we can get you in today. We have a, what I, the thing I said from day one to the staff was 
we're not calling him a new doctor. We're just saying we brought in another associate. And there's been a time or two where I've heard him slip up and then they have that conversation with the patient. Well, he's not new. And so that, that works out well. Um, but yeah, just, you know, tell them, you know, the truth. We have brought in another associate and he's been in the, just got out of the military. He's been a dentist for four years and he does a great job. And if you're comfortable with seeing him today, he can see you now. Yeah, that's something that Seth and I've talked about in the past, which is, you know, integration um, of, a, of a new team member is super important. The dialogue that you, that you carry on with a patient, because if you're providing, you know, with your language options that don't necessarily fit what, what the plan is moving forward, it can oftentimes be um, more cumbersome and, and harder to integrate that, that new team member into the, into the mix, um, you know, so I think you guys started off on the right foot with the right use of language and, you know, habits are hard to break, but obviously with, you know, with some scripting with, with team and, and stuff like that, you guys have been able to, to make it that integration a successful yes. one four weeks yep. in doing great. All right. So, uh, we've been talking a lot about dentistry. Yeah. Uh, what do you do when you're not with a handpiece in your hand? So, a lot of fishing in the summertime, um, a little bit of hunting in the winter, um, and then just spending time with my wife and two kids. I've got a four-year-old and a nine-year-old. So the nine-year-old, I pull him out off his games to do stuff, and then the four-year-old, I can't make it out of the door without her behind me. So sometimes I uh, didn't even go outside, and she doesn't know where I am, and she runs out, Dad? <laughs> I'm still in the house. <laughs> uh, so we're a podcast that doesn't incorporate yeah. video, but if you could see the smile on, <laughs> on Seth's face right there, it's obviously that, that, that trailer, your daughter brings a big yeah. smile to your face. That, that's pretty fun. I know with my daughter uh, and, and having her wanting to go do stuff and go hang out and hit the outdoors. It's uh, a, yeah. it's a lot of fun. So you're, you're a big fisherman. Yeah. You just shared. What type of, what type of, are you bass yeah, fishermen? Bass fishermen and, um, do a couple tournaments a month on Saturdays, usually eight, eight hour tournament. And we've done well. It's been, been fun. Just a small group of guys and 10, 10 or 12 boats usually. And just helps to have that. I like to, you know, sometimes not fish eight hours, especially when they're not biting, but it does help to have that scheduled time that okay, I'm doing this instead of maybe I'll go fish if I have time Saturday, which, you know, you know how that works out. All right. You got to walk us through that. Um, So Aaron, if you ever watch professional bass fishing, I'd say Aaron Martins is the king of the drop shot, but just a finesse technique, um, you know, really light line, a small weight actually on the tip of the line, and then your hook about six inches above that. Then you can throw any kind of small, plastic bait that you want on the hook and just kind of bounce it bounce it a little bit on the bottom let it sit and hold on hmm. <laughs> i like it so that you're are you are when, you, when you're throwing that bait are you throwing it like underhand out there so you're trying to create like a splash at, or? at times it depends how far you're trying to cast i mean you can fish it around docks and then usually close enough you can underhand it but uh, I don't worry too much about the splash. I guess if the water was really calm, 
maybe, but most places, most times there's at least enough boat traffic that you've got some choppy water, but it's not so noticeable. So you've got something that you can keep your mind off of, off of yep. dentistry, a great hobby, right? Um, one of the things that I've noticed about, oh, gosh, it's been probably 10 years that Seth and I have known each other, but um, you're very dialed into um, your business. Um, from a practice management perspective, you're very well read. Um, you're, you're, you know, something you pay close attention to. Is that something that you've always been interested in, uh, the business part of it, or, or is it something that you've learned? Um, it's something that I've been interested in. Um, you know, back to high school when I didn't think I was going to school, um, we actually had an entrepreneur class and, um, I was big into, FFA and we had some business classes there. So, you know, from starting the landscaping business, I'd say that's when it started. I mean, I did all the bookkeeping and, you know, bill paying and and that stuff with the landscaping business and just kind of continued that. But then I've learned a ton since then and on a bigger scale too. So. So if I'm a younger dentist and I'm an associate somewhere, or maybe I'm working at a a corporate location, what advice would you give me if I was thinking about going out there and, and starting up my own practice or buying a practice, I should say? Um, with either one. So with a startup, I think that demographics are the most important thing. I mean, I know people who've done a startup and you could walk in their parking lot and see four other offices, which probably isn't impossible if everything's done perfectly, but definitely harder than going to a small town that doesn't have a dentist and all of a sudden you're the only dentist for 2,500 or 3,000 people. With the startup, you get to make everything your way, you know, from the chair color to the hand pieces and all that stuff. With a buy-in, I'd say you can still change things, but I think that too much change too fast is hard on the patients and the staff. And it's just going to be easier to go in and, you know, see what's there and see what you can live with and see what you absolutely hate that you have to change, but not just going in to a purchase and changing everything. Um, I've had, yeah. If I may, I, no, I was just going to say, I think that's uh, having a, a synergy you know, if you're going to go to a practice that's um, uh, in terms of you're, you're going to go into an acquisition, um, having and making sure that those uh, synergies from the way that you communicate with the with the older doctor, with um, having a similar philosophy with regard to, you know, um, treatment. I think that those things become really important because, as you mentioned, you're coming into an existing situation and you don't want to necessarily change right. too much too fast. What's been, from a career advice standpoint, just kind of thinking through ownership, has there been anything that stuck with you that's helped that, that maybe someone either instilled, whether it was Dr. Dickey, someone else um, over time, maybe you learned it, the landscaping business that, that has helped you as you've grown now as a, you know, a dental practice owner? Um, let's see. Can you repeat that? Repeat the first part for me. Um, just career advice or any saying slogan thing that you think about, um, that, that helps drive kind of either your 
mission, vision, values that that's been able to instill in others. So whether it was bringing on the new associate and saying, "Hey, this is this is how we do things," right? Like this yeah. is the the structure. This is how I think. I, I think you know, keeping things simple, um, which is something that I guess one of the first people I listened to was Joe Stevens of Kisco um, from Kansas, and you know, being efficient. I think that, you know, one of the bigger things that I changed when I started was some efficiency things, even as simple as if you go in for an emergency, instead of just having a mirror and explorer, go ahead and have anesthetic on there. And, you know, by the time they could have went and got it and brought it back to do some same day treatment, I could have already had them numb and left. And, you know, the procedure started instead of another five minutes of getting things moving. What do you see biggest challenges, practice ownership moving forward? And then what's something that you felt like was a big challenge? Maybe you've overcame anything that Um, strikes you there. Well, uh, probably the biggest challenge was navigating through the pandemic for everyone. I'm sure, Um, you know, what to do with staff and, I stayed up till about two o'clock the morning that I decided to shut down. Cause when you first hear shut down, I mean, everybody's like, well, I'm not us. And, you know, I don't think anybody, I know nobody thought it would happen. So I tried to write a little bit of a motivational speech and called on my way in the next day and said, go ahead and cancel everybody. We'll have a meeting. And I think I said, this isn't about, money right now it's about living which you know at the time that's kind of where we were on the, what we knew um, in the future um, I don't necessarily see any you know major things that I'm worried about maybe um, you know cutting back my time and actually letting him the new associate run things um, will be somewhat difficult but it'll be nice also What investment in yourself do you uh, foresee in the next in the next couple of years? Do you think it's? I mean, I think an associate is an investment in yourself, so it's affording you some additional free time. But is there a technology that's out there that you're excited about? Is there? Um, uh, what are you I'm excited about? Excited about digital dentures. We do a lot of dentures, and um, I I've heard people are doing you know the process of you know actually being able to scan at least the model and make a 3d printed denture. I think being able to do that would be really nice. Um, I don't think it's quite there yet or streamlined enough to where I want to get into it. Cause I think they're kind of piecing different parts together to make it work. And, but I think it's coming. Yeah. That sounds exciting. Anything that makes yes. life easier and more accurate, right? So uh, at, at this point, um, Isaiah and I like to take an opportunity to kind of switch the questions around. And if there's maybe something that you would want to ask uh, uh, either Isaiah or, or myself, uh, feel free. Nathan, so you've had quite a few transitions to different jobs, different roles. 
um, I'd say from what I can tell, you definitely enjoy this one, the advisory and transition help the most. Um, how do you feel about that? I mean, you're different, different jobs and you feel like that's where you are now in the best, best place. No. You make me sound like a job hopper, Seth. Just the ev- evolution. <laughs> you can't have a job. You heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like that. I, you know what? With regard to the evolution, um, there has been a couple of different jobs. You know, working with a manufacturing company, starting off, and then getting into dental distribution and and you know selling equipment, technology, and supplies, and then into management, and now you know working as an advisor. I can truly say that it, had I not had those experiences, um, I wouldn't be near near the advisor that I am right now. So I feel like uh, you know those experiences and those learning experiences that I had um, working with people like yourself and having clients like yourself, where um, I learned just as much from you is is maybe at times you you were able to glean from from me. So. Um, I am excited about where I'm at right now, and uh, I feel like I'm still a work in progress. Uh, there's no question about that, but um, you know, it's it's the last 15 years, and and just I guess taking notes consistently and trying to just use some of those notes and, and experiences in a way that I can maybe help create po- more positive outcomes with with you know just past clients and future clients. So yes, you did. Did I answer your question? Um, okay, perfect. I'll I'll close yeah. with uh, one other quick question, Seth, and it's one that I'd be curious to hear. Do you have any opinions that are maybe non-consensus when you chat with your your peers around the state that that you believe or hold that that maybe they'd be like, you know, I don't I don't necessarily see it that way. Anything that um you think uh, about that in in that light? Not, not necessarily. Nothing that comes directly to mind. Um, Give me an, an example. Uh, I guess not knowing all the consensus thoughts as being a, a clinician in some of the clinical stuff it might be difficult, but it could even be the way that you, you manage um, the business as far as, you know, whether you set goals or if you with the staff and you want to do bonuses, some people say that's a good idea. Others don't like that kind of stick and carrot approach. Um, you talked about not wanting an associate. Some people would say, yep, don't ever want that. I'm just going to cut back on hours. Others, you know, think about, I do want to do multi-location, which is similar to what you're doing. And others that would say, nope, never want to do that. Uh, um, so I guess just thoughts or opinions yeah. around that. And if, if not, we can, right. I we can edit this out too. And it doesn't matter. Yeah. I've heard a lot of people say, you know, switching from five to four to some even three days a week working. Um, actually, you can improve production, improve efficiency. And many people who go from four to three actually at least do the same as what they were doing in four days. And just getting that rest lets you go to work and not leave anything on the table. So that that's something that I do have kind of plan to work towards also. Perfect. Well, I think that's a, a great spot to, to wrap it up. Nate, unless you have any, anything else closing wise that you want to throw in there? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I just want to say thank you. Uh, appreciate you coming on Seth. I think that you have a lot to offer from a mentorship 
with, uh, you know, your associate in practice, but also there, you've been through all these different phases that, that younger dentists are, um, on the verge of also going through. And so sometimes having, uh, listen to someone who's went through those experiences in life, um, and in, in business, it's, uh, it can often provide some security and yes. sense of calm. <laughs> so, I appreciate you. Yep. Hey, I appreciate you being here, buddy. Thank you. Um, yes, it was. And, uh, Thank you very much. It was fun. Thank you for joining us on Dentistry Uncut. If you didn't know, now you know. Thank you for listening to today's show. The comments on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should talk to your professional team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincere Wealth Management and is also a registered investment advisor. Nathan Courtney is a practice transition consultant with Legacy Practice Transitions and a dental business advisor with Cloverleaf Advisory Group, where he's also an owner. The biggest compliment you can give is to share our podcast with a friend. Your reviews will help our listening audience grow. Apple Podcast is the primary platform for our listeners. If you have a few minutes and you love the show, please head over to Apple Podcast and give us an honest review and rating. For all of today's links and show information, head over to www.dentistryuncut.com. Again, that's www.dentistryuncut.com. There, you can also subscribe to your favorite podcast platform, so you won't miss out on the next episode. Thanks for listening.